Welcome to The Sale Ring, a podcast dedicated to real estate brokers, agents, and America's top auctioneers that keep the markets moving. Join your hosts, Sean and Trina, as they talk with most successful realtors, marketing and technology experts, investors, and influencers. This show is devoted to all industry professionals looking to up their game and stay up to date. Welcome to The Sale Ring. It's almost Mother's Day. It is. Yeah. I have no idea what I'm buying my mom at all. What she need? Nothing. She, that's the problem. She buys it when she wants it, and there's no room for wiggle after that. So that's that's always a mom's problem. Is yeah. Well, I don't really need anything, and well, and I try to buy her like experiences or tickets to something instead because she's retired now, and you know my dad is too. So just give him something to do, but. I feel like I've already done all of those too. So I'm, I'm at a loss. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to be fairly quick on my feet right now. Cause <laughs> because you of, just found out five minutes ago it was Mother's no, Day this weekend. It was more like seven <laughs> minutes ago, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we got a great show mm-hmm. uh, today. We're going to be talking to, um, which is, is right up our alley. We're going to be talking to a guy that is a real estate broker in New York. Mm-hmm. that um, joined the franchise, joined United Country Real Estate, bought the franchise, and was intrigued by auctions. I believe had had an auction with another brokerage. We'll talk about that during the show. And I uh, said, you know, I, I, I'm going to become an auctioneer. We're yeah. going to start offering auction services. And uh, man, did they. Yeah. It, it took off for them. So Kevin Jakeway is going to join us uh, in the studio, and we're getting him hooked up by phone here. And we're getting, uh, I, th- I think we're there. Kevin, uh, can you hear us? I can. Good. Well, how are you doing, first off? Doing well today. We want to, uh, Trina and I want to welcome you into the show, and thank you for joining us from uh, Hamilton, New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right in the center of New York State. Is that a good place to be, or a good place to be from? A good place to be both. <laughs> 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 As, uh, there was an old man that grew up he lived down the street from me growing up he goes oh yeah i know where that's at that's a great place to be from yeah <laughs> meaning you moved away from there for a reason <laughs> yeah. uh it uh this is this is going to be a fun episode it's going to be a fun podcast because i'm an auctioneer i've been an auctioneer about 30 years and um, trina and i work um, in auction services and, and work with a lot of auctioneers. So when this came up on the radar and we had an opportunity to visit with you, I was excited about that. Anytime you see somebody that's maybe a novice or brand new to the auction industry and they start entering that market and they just they have the aptitude, they have the ambition for it, and they hit the ground running, that's exciting. Yep, yeah. You're that guy. Yeah, thank you. It, it, it has worked well. We just got it going here in uh, September. So, Let's talk a little bit about Hamilton real quick. Kind of tell us uh, what, what's the landscape up there for. Uh, and maybe we back up and, and talk about just how long you've been in real estate or in the brokerage business in and around that area. So I've been in the, the traditional real estate business for about 20 years uh, right here in Hamilton. And as I said, we we just brought in the auction services other than the, the one auction we had done a couple of years ago with a, another auctioneer. Uh, we just brought those in starting in September and we're in a, it's a rural community. There's about 3000 people here in this community and it is farming uh, probably like a lot of areas. Some of the smaller farmers are starting to, we still have some larger farms here, but um, we are, uh, we're about an hour south of the Adirondack Mountains, and we're about an hour and a half north of the Catskill Mountains. Nice, right in between. We are. Yeah, very good. So let's uh, let me ask you a couple questions about farming. What what's the average field size? The average farm size, or are, are those large um, fields, or have they been cut up into small tracks over the years? Yeah, they are all over the place. Um, a lot of the farmers in our area probably are getting to be. 500 milking cows and bigger. That's what we're mostly dairy around here. There are a few beef farms, but mostly dairy. 
but those guys need enough land that they're working anything from a four acre lot to if they could find something that's 150 170 acres in one piece that's that's kind of their dream piece around here and we do have some river bottom and then we've got some pretty steep hillsides as well so and then obviously the more acreage that they have, the more density they can add to their herd, right? They can add additional cows and, and that's additional milk product. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. They need a, a certain amount of acres per cow on the farm. Yeah. In my experience in the dairy industry, that, um, that can be a very rigorous industry to operate in. It's, it's kind of feast or famine. Yeah, absolutely. Really depends on your milk price. And that milk price can be brutal uh, sure. when it goes, um, you know, in the tank, pardon the pun. It, uh, <laughs> it makes it very difficult. There's a lot of turnover sometimes where some of those milk producers, they just, you know, if they're on the bubble or on the margin, they can't survive it. Correct. And uh, you is that is that the nature of your business, your brokerage business in Hamilton? Do you handle a lot of dairy sales or dairy-oriented sales? We do, and it seems to really be directly related with that because when uh, when that milk price does go into the tank, uh, they they pull her in their horns and they cut back quite a bit, and we aren't moving a lot of land at that point. But when the milk prices are high and they're wanting to put on additions, our business follows right along with it. Nice. So we're going to talk a little bit more today about the equipment uh, business on this show. And that will fold into the auction conversation. Dairies have, <clears throat> that's kind of specialized equipment. A lot of that dairy production equipment. Um, I have sold some of that in years in years past in the auction industry. And does that come available up there? Is that one of the things that you can step in and, and provide services for is the liquidation? Not just of, you know, the. I, I assume most of them have dispersal sales for their, their herd whenever they, they have to reduce size. You sell land, but do you also sell like milk production equipment? So we haven't gotten into the milk production specific equipment. Uh, what we've gotten into is the field equipment is mainly. And what we've seen here recently is these farms that are growing because milk price has been decent here. They're uh, getting into larger equipment because they're covering larger acreage. And we're able to sell off some of those midsize uh, tractors and tillage equipment. Say that one more time about the current milk price. It's good right now. I mean, the markets so are flowing along pretty good. It's decent right now. It's not great, but it's it's better than it has been. Uh, two years ago, they were competing with uh, prices that were similar to the 1980s. So the mm -hmm. price has finally come back up to where they're they're able to grow a little bit. What is what dictates that? I've always wondered, you know, what causes the milk to swing in price so much, so dramatically? Because I, I can't imagine that consumption or the usage of milk in the United States, for example, you know, it it would maybe ebb and flow with that a little bit, but it doesn't seem like you would go from month to month or year to year and have that kind of a reduction in consumption. Yeah, there's a lot of factors that come into that. There's some government regulations. There's the uh, the truck haul or the not yeah, the truck haulers, the I, milk haulers. That's what I thought was going to uh, be like the yep. shipping. That's yep. been a big the, problem around the, everywhere. Uh, yeah, and the surplus does run up and down. They can get a surplus of milk, and that'll push the price down. Hmm. Kevin, are you from Hamilton originally, or is that where you grew up? I am. Yep, and I grew up on a dairy farm. Oh, very wow. good. So you're you're familiar with the industry. I am. Yeah. And I understand you've opened up a couple of other offices. So we'll uh, as we move forward here, we'll talk a little bit about franchising. You made a decision after 20 years in the brokerage business, you've joined a franchise. And in the real estate franchise sector, which we're, we're very proud of United Country Real Estate, it's one of the principal sponsors uh, of this po uh, podcast show. They tend to focus on non-urban or rural markets and lifestyle properties. So this kind of um, this this kind of folds right into your normal course of business. Right? It does. Yep. Absolutely. Since joining them, you've bought from you've moved from one office. I understand you now own is it three? We have three locations. Yep. We have Hamilton. We have Roscoe, which is down in Sullivan County. Uh, that's a little less on the dairy in that area. It's more recreational. And then we've also moved out towards the Buffalo area. Uh, there is dairy out there as well as recreational. 
Mm-hmm. Well, we have some insight, you know, obviously into United Country. And one of the things I think we could talk about at this point is you're taking advantage of is this SPG program or special property groups where that diversification of the business. So your primary location, um, I'm sure there's homes uh, in Hamilton. So a guy can target homes. Uh, there'd be some commercial buildings you could target, you know, kind of that that mid-market or light market commercial And then we've talked a lot about dairy farms or agricultural farms. But then you just mentioned if you go down into Sullivan County, how far away is that office in Roscoe? Uh, Two hours. So two hours south of you, you have a different environment. You have a different market. And leveraging a different lifestyle, a different property or a niche property type, you can focus on maybe recreational, hunting and recreational markets or you know something different down in that area that may not um, that may not be the same as as Hamilton, where your primary office is. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Actually, uh, Roscoe is a recreational. It's the uh, has five rivers coming together, so a very very popular fishing area. But they are also uh, about an hour and forty five minutes out of New York City, so there are a lot of second homes down there as well. Have you been successful as far as getting that office up and running? You've added a few agents and starting to uh, to turn some listings down there. Yes, we've got. There's just three agents there right now. We are uh, working on recruiting more agents into that office because we do have enough business there to support some additional agents at this point. Outstanding, outstanding. And then the other office location you mentioned is where. So we just recently added uh, Buffalo, New York. So that's all the way over to the western side of the state. And we have just two agents that we've uh, got started there. And you mentioned SPGs, especially property groups. Um, Since joining United Country, that's actually become part of our onboarding for our agents. Um, What I find to be somewhat successful is I have them pick out a specialty property group, and that's what they focus on to get their feet on the ground and get up and running. So pick pick one thing to look at and and pursue that one thing, and then we can talk about expanding from that one thing later. Yep, exactly. That's a great strategy if you're, you know, so I guess the first thing you'd have to identify is what markets can we serve or maybe you're being underserved in that, in that market region, in that area, um, and then go and attack that. But put a lot of your, I guess, eggs in one basket out there, put, put a lot of the emphasis on that market and just go really heavy into it. Correct, yep. Yeah. That strategy working? It is very well. Outstanding. Well, for the listeners on here, if they're in the brokerage business or the auction business, they're, I, th- I think there's something that should resonate with them in what you just said. Um, because we have a tendency to get too spread out. You know, it's, uh, what, what do they use, the, the old adage, uh, uh, a jack of all trades and a master of none. Yeah. You know, so right. you can get so spread out that you have a little bit of surface knowledge about 40 different vertical markets out here, different niche markets. But what do you really know about, you know, production agriculture or a dairy farm? Yeah. So you're, you're knee-deep in that subject matter because you grew up on a dairy farm, you were raised around it, and you still operate in a community that is saturated by dairy farms out there. And it makes it, uh, you know, you, you have a lot of depth and a lot of market knowledge in that. Correct, yep. Yeah. How hard is it to find agents when you move? So how far is the one on the west side of the state? What was the name of the town? Buffalo, At Buffalo New Buffalo? York. That's about three hours from me. So you have one three hours to the west. You have an office in Sullivan County in Roscoe, New York, two hours to the south, and then your primary, your your home office in Hamilton, New York. How how challenging is it to service those offices as a broker? Um, With the uh, kind of the push for all the – uh, Zoom meetings, that actually has helped. That's kind of forced me into that. So we are able to do quite a bit um, remotely. I do try and actually physically be at the offices probably once every other week. Sometimes I have to be down there a little more often. Uh, Roscoe, I can back off a little because that's kind of up and going and I'm spending a little more time towards Buffalo. Nice. There's a lot of expansion going on in the real estate industry with brokerages opening second and third offices. 
when you when you drive two hours to the south, three hours to the west, do you just carve out the day and spend the entire day in that office, or do you run out there for a couple, two or three hours, and then back to Hamilton? No, I leave usually about six o'clock in the morning and get home about six or seven o'clock at night. Okay, so you're yeah. you've designated, you know, next Wednesday I'm going to be in in Buffalo, New York, and you just spend the entire day in that office and and work in that market. That's correct. Yeah, very smart. Yeah. Very smart. I, I think you're a smart operator. That's why we were excited to get on the podcast with you is there's going to be a lot of insight uh, as we ask you some of these questions for the other brokers listening to it. This is about strategy. Mm-hmm. This is about, you know, setting up a plan and, and obviously getting out of bed at six o'clock in the morning and, and getting back home at uh, at six in the evening. It uh, it takes that, but it also can be very beneficial. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the adaption and, and adoption of auction services into your company. I'm going to assume, uh, I'll make this assumption, that you you have auction services in Hamilton, New York, but you're also offering that out of the other two locations. That is correct. So we actually have uh, seven auctioneers scattered out across New York State right now mm-hmm. um, that with introducing the auction services that we also chose similar to uh, bringing on new agents. I did the same thing with the auction services. We tried to stay very focused on just farm equipment, construction equipment, and personal recreational equipment. And being able to bring on seven auctioneers within about a three-month time, that helped, I believe, quite a bit staying that focused. It was much easier to train them, much easier to give them a direction to go and it has has worked very well what's required in new york to become an auctioneer i mean it sounds like you're training these guys up is there a big license law out there i know each state's a little different so right so believe it or not and i was actually shocked by this we also the other thing we do is everything is done online we haven't done or gotten into any live lineup type of auctions everything is done online Uh, we particularly use auction time as the platform we choose to use Mm -hmm. and it is just working very well because shockingly with new york state there is no license required for an auctioneer yeah to do online yeah Yeah. strictly online auctions Uh, we have looked at expanding into pennsylvania there is a license required in pennsylvania which we're working on acquiring that at this point Nice. How far are you from the Pennsylvania line? I can be in 60 miles, probably. So I can be in Pennsylvania pretty quickly. Uh, the auctioneers, I've got two of them down towards Roscoe. They can be in, in Pennsylvania about 15 minutes. Oh, very good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. When you mention auction time, that's predominantly an equipment online auction platform that you can plug equipment into. Um, they're closing sales every week, so you just you forecast out two, three, four weeks into the future and say, well, on this Wednesday, your equipment's going to be selling, and then it markets it between the list date and that sale date. Here's a question I have for you. What about real estate? Because I know that you've conducted some real estate auctions. Are you using a different platform for that? So right now, we don't have any active real estate uh, auctions. Uh, what we have found, though, is that it kind of works hand in hand. If we're out listing a property, a lot of times we'll pick up some equipment to sell for auction. And I've been in some other situations where I've been out for auctions and picked up real estate. Uh, we've had getting ready to actually close on it will be my largest commissioned sale that sold traditionally. But what forced the hand on the buyer was the ability to take it to auction, which was one of the considerations we had. And that buyer actually uh, stepped up and paid a premium for it so that we didn't take it to auction. And it was agreeable with the, the seller. And we were able to uh, able to uh, close that transaction due to close here on May 10th. Well, I can tell you there's a ton of auctioneers listening to this podcast show here in in the next few days, nodding their heads whenever you say that, because the threat of an auction, a lot of times in that exposure to the market and that competitive bid process, there's prudent buyers out here that don't want the property exposed like that. They've been sitting on their hands a little bit. Uh, you know, what do you want for it? Well, what do you want to give? And they, they can't really, you know, they can't get together. 
from not wanting to offend the other party to just, you know, greed, not wanting to pay full price. But the minute that auction sign starts going up, man, they're ready to act. They're ready to move and, and get this thing off the market. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think in this particular case, if I remember right, it was, uh, it happened to be an estate sale that this farm happened to be in. And the, uh, the end buyer had approached the, um, executor and had given him an offer. And I believe there was about a $600,000 swing by the time we got done. Wow. That's outstanding. Wow. Nice job, yep. Kevin. Yeah. And yep. congrats on, on your largest sale. That's amazing too. Thank you. Kevin, we're going to slip away here. We're going to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit more about how you adopted auction services and started plugging that into your business. Um, Some difficulties around finding those six, seven auctioneers and and adding them. And also what influence, what impact that that's had and how United Country supported that. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more from Kevin Jaquay. Ever dream of owning a country estate, historic home, or lakefront property? Log on to unitedcountry.com. Would you like to retire to a home built on breathtaking acreage in the mountains? Unitedcountry.com. Ever dream of your own private hunting preserve? unitedcountry.com. Over 30,000 farm, recreational, and lifestyle properties are just a click away, helping people find their American dream for over 90 years. We will help you find yours. Log on now to unitedcountry.com and find your freedom. Thinking about selling a real estate investment, but worried about the taxes you'll have to pay? Property owners just like you have solved their tax issue with a Starker Services 1031 exchange. One call could save you a fortune in taxes. Call Starker Services today at 800-332-1031 or visit online at www.starker.com and keep the tax dollars working for you. Are you looking for heavy equipment but unsure where to start? Then you need to check out AuctionTime.com. Buying great equipment has never been easier than bidding online at AuctionTime.com. What are you waiting for? Online auctions are closing every Wednesday. So register and start bidding today. AuctionTime.com. The way to buy heavy equipment. Crude oil, natural gas, coal. Buying and selling minerals is a breeze when you have the right energy professionals on your team. Mineralmarketing.com is a leading resource for America's mineral owners. Whether you're wanting to lease or sell your mineral rights, Mineral Marketing has you covered. Mineralmarketing.com, the oil and gas marketplace. I just noticed we were talking about auction time with Kevin and then Trina had pointed <laughs> yeah, out they're, they're actually sponsor, one of the sponsors yeah. of the show. So we, um, you know, hats off to Auction Time and, and yeah. thanks for sponsoring the podcast uh, along with the other sponsors. Kevin, um, while we were listening to uh, kind of on break there and listening to the commercials, we talked a little bit about just the adoption of auction services into a traditional brokerage. And I want to spend a little bit of time on that and talk about it because that's been something that United Country Real Estate has pioneered. They have shepherded a lot of traditional real estate brokers into the auction industry. Let's talk specifically, if we can, just in your experience as a guy that that went through that same process about tools or services or any benefits whenever you join a franchise system versus trying to go out and procreate that stuff on your own. Absolutely. Uh, So what I, the reason I joined the brokerage is I'd kind of gotten my company to a level and we just seemed to just stay there. We, we plateaued there and, and a lot of people, what they say, if you want to get bigger, you need to be part of something bigger. And I looked at a lot of franchises and other options before I decided to go with United Country. And what I have noticed is the support is much, much better than anything I've seen or been able to talk to from other people with other franchises. And the the follow-through that we get, um, the auction services side of it, on your side of it, Sean, with what we have done, has just been tremendous with 
when you can call up the president of the company and have them actually answer your phone call and answer questions for you, that's, that's huge. Um, and then with the, the auctioneers that I have, one of the things we do besides our leads that we're able to pull through auction time is all the, the pre-printed, pre-made materials that we can get through United Country. And that, that is really big because you can struggle and, and have a lot of stuff on your own and pieces and parts, but to actually have something at that level, I have a lot of my auctioneers use those flyers and the trifolds and they'll do cold calls as well as pulling our leads. Uh, I tell them if there's something on the side of the road, has got a for sale sign on it, call the number and, and see what you do. I have some that are really good at cold calls. Um, I have one that's, that is out of that Buffalo office. So he's a little, a little more going on out there. So he's able to stop it, uh, a tractor dealer or able to stop it at equipment dealer and just leave that information with them. That seems to work really well for him as his first contact to be just leaving that information and then following up with a phone call later. Yeah. So that, that type of material for us, the, uh, the website and, and having that additional website through United country, we've been able to use that in some of our, listing or sales presentations that we don't only do one thing we also advertise here and we advertise here which includes united country which hopefully i'm correct when i tell these people that the united country is the largest integrated real estate and auction services in the country yeah that's the tagline that's it that's accurate Right. <laughs> That's accurate. That's good. Well, we use that we use that in our own brokerage, you know, as I mentioned early in the show. I, I've been an auctioneer for a long time, for almost thirty years. And one of the one of the things is the quality of the materials. I'll I'll speak to this in, in my own personal experience. They're high quality materials. You have professional designers and people that have intimate knowledge in in our marketing teams here that are processing and running and helping auctioneers run auctions every day of the week. And they're designing and creating marketing materials that are going back out the door, outbound materials to help solicit more auctions and help market the existing auctions. So to go into the uh, to the back end into Bullseye, which is our technology platform we use and have postcards, trifold brochures, listing presentations for 40 different individual t- market types. Mm-hmm. Um that's stuff that the auctioneers in our brokerage, and it sounds like your brokerage, they don't have to do. It's already procreated. It's already sitting there waiting for them to just drop in a few particulars about that individual property and send it right back out the door. To me, that's invaluable because I spent the first 20-plus years in the auction business creating that stuff myself, Kevin. Yeah. And now I, have, now I have a company creating all that for me that's there at my disposal. Absolutely. And you could also, you'd, you'd, when you join a company that size, now you have, uh, I think one of the things they like to say, if I remember correctly, is uh, national national exposure and local expertise. Is that correct? That's exactly correct. That yep. is, um, that's been around since 1925. You know, that's, yep. that's kind of the premise behind United's brand and what it's always represented is we, we want to, ex- we want broader exposure for your listing. And that is absolutely what happens, and it helps uh, give us some added value when we're at any type of listing presentation. Well, we all know that the playing field has gotten somewhat leveled over the years. You know, the forerunner in land, and and I'll speak to land, just cropland, ranch land, recreational land, just land in general, the forerunner to some of the other third-party websites when the, when the World Wide Web first started to exist and, and, uh, and, and populate the, the globe out there with access to the internet and, and accessibility tools. Mm-hmm. We had a website. We had unitedcountry.com, and it, it sat there for a long time almost by itself in that market segment. That was the go-to site to find non-urban properties. Um, there's always a lot of fast followers, those yeah. are always going to come in. But whenever you get those, you know, our, our job is to always stay in front of the pack. So leading out there now, the, the challenge sometimes for companies is, well, how do you rank on page one? If somebody's searching for a country home in New York or a dairy farm in New York or uh, a hunting land in New York, 
How, why are these, these pages, these listings showing up on page one when my, my website, my office website is on page three? And the response is, we spend a lot of time and a lot of money and effort designing that, mm-hmm. staying ahead of that curve. So to me, I find that very advantageous because buyers get extremely impatient. Getting them to migrate from page one to page two can be a, a, a challenge, to say the least. And if it doesn't perform well, getting them to come back a second time and open up a website can be a challenge. So uh, we have to perform well, and we have to perform at a high level on page one. And there's with an independent, as I was, there's no way you can do that on your own. No. It's your expensive. I can tell you that. I've seen the checks that pass through this technology division of this company, and uh, when we verticalized, so we'll talk about this, the SPG program, it, it... it individually sectored 40 um, vertical markets or individual niche markets, and <clears throat> we created websites, custom collateral, listing presentations for every one of those. And just so the listeners know, when we're talking about vertical markets, it would be um, a production farm, an agricultural farm, or a bed and breakfast property, or a country home, or a poultry farm or a desert property, and so on. So there's 40 of these individual markets that we serve. It easily took over $2 million in two years' worth of work Mm -hmm. just to produce that one program, just to produce those 40 individual vertical markets. At no point in my career was I willing to write a $2 million, or or in most cases able to write a $2 million check and take two years to produce that as an individual office. Mm -hmm. And the uh, the listing presentations that you mentioned that are in those are are very powerful. They've helped us increase our percentage of listing appointments to closed listings or taking the listing. It's we can now take this very well done professional listing presentation, which includes our plan of how we're going to sell their house and market mm-hmm. their house or their property or their equipment. Uh, works for the auctions as well as the real estate, and makes from our feedback that we get from our clients is that we may be the only one or the only one of few that actually brought in a marketing plan. Yeah. Well, Trina may know something about that as she spent <laughs> an exorbitant I amount of time two tuning years building those and, and listing and building those out. Yes. But they came out very well. Thank Trina. you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Makes me happy that you're using them. You know, while we're on that topic, something that I've noticed and, and this is, um, I, I've had the I've had the opportunity, you know, the the pleasure of working, not just in my own brokerage, but I've worked with other brokers on large projects over the years. And when we're selling, when we're pitching to a bank on fifteen million or thirty million dollars worth of property that we're getting ready to divest, we used to write catalogs for Mm -hmm. listing proposals. I mean, they would be 60 pages long and 70 pages long. They they were big old thick books of everything that we could think of to stick in there. Yeah. And there's been, there's been a shift in business when you're dealing with professional people right now, they want, you know, the big three or four questions answered. Hey, I, I appreciate you sending that over. It looks wonderful. You guys do a lot of stuff. I just want to know how much do you charge? How long is it going to take? What do you think you'll get for it? Yeah. You know, and, and how are you going to get there? Just give me the summary. Give me the cliff notes on this thing. And we started scaling those back. Um, I'm, I'm working right now. We're working on, um, on a, a beef production operation that could, uh, you know, sell anywhere between six to eight million dollars and um, the proposals that you write for those things now are seven pages yeah. or eight pages or it they they don't want 80 pages of info to wade through anymore yeah they, they just want to get you know shortened to the point tell us what you're going to do how you're going to do it and then put a little fluff in there about your company and we're good to go yep absolutely Kevin, do you use a lot of those on your listings? Do you use the listing presentation for, for most of, uh, if you're going after real estate, do you sit down and write a proposal for each one of those? We use the uh, narrow it down to what specialty property group it belongs in, or we feel it belongs in, and we use the listing presentation out of that, go in and customize it, 
if it's uh we we do do some traveling, but if it's close enough, I actually have the agents go out and uh, take a quick picture of the property and include that in that listing presentation. Uh, and then we also like to have our mapping done through MapRite. We use that. We include that with that listing presentation, and that works very, very well for us. Yeah. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, Tell us a little bit before we wrap up here where you're headed with auction services. What's uh, what's kind of on the horizon? Because um, obviously your numbers are off the charts that uh, we talked about outside of the show. Uh, your offices are performing extremely well. Um, you're no longer on that plateau. Yeah, yeah, you know, we the, are not. <laughs> the, the growth curve is back in effect here, and and you're doing well. What's um, what does the balance of 2022 and maybe 2023 look like for your offices? So for uh, real estate, we are working on uh, expanding each one of those offices with uh, qualified agents. Uh, we're actually doing a lot right now with brand new agents, get, helping people getting licensed and moving them into the business. Um, the auction side, we've, uh, with it being so brand new, we've set our first goals. We're looking at trying to do 250 units this calendar year wow. and we we are on pace for that. I didn't get a chance to exactly see what we've done uh, since January, but I know we are on pace to, we just finished this quarter out and with last year's quarters, I think we're, we're pushing 80 units from uh, last September until now. And we do have the, the seven auctioneers on right now. And we are uh, looking at license laws in some neighboring States. We're looking at uh, three or four of the neighboring States where we have some auctioneers that can flow over into those States and also try and bring on some auctioneers that actually live in those states as well. Nice. Well, Kevin, this has been a pleasure having uh, having you on the podcast show. And, uh, you know, we may ask you to come back and, and we might talk a little bit more in detail about specifically how to get into the equipment auction business or how to get into dairy farms and farms auction business and leverage that. But this, uh, this overview of, of how you've injected auction services, you've added auctioneers, how the business is going, uh, we're very proud for you because it's, it's working well and it's working just like it should. If somebody wanted to visit with you outside of the podcast show, tell them how to get a hold of you. Uh, you can go right actually to our United Country website, and that will give you the information to be able to get a hold of me if you grade into our team and if you go right down to me, it'll actually have my cell phone number on there. And you're welcome to, to call that cell phone anytime. And your website is Eagle River Dash Realty.com. That's, That's correct. Eagle River with a hyphen or a dash realty.com. Um, also, the phone number 315 824 8989. That's your office number, I believe. Yeah. Yep, that's the office number, but coincidentally, a lot of the time that phone number is forwarded to my cell number. Outstanding. Yeah. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Great insight, great information, and we'd look forward to having you back. All right. Thank you for having me. All right. Kevin Jakeway, everybody. <laughs> well, that worked out really well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that worked out really well. I like Kevin. Kevin is, um, what a humble guy. Yeah, super humble. You know, and, and yeah. he did a great job on the podcast show, but as we were mentioning earlier, he, Kevin, you can tell, he doesn't really like talking about himself. Yeah. Not in a he's braggadocious not a bragger, way. That's for sure. But he's yeah. definitely willing to give up, like, whatever information that somebody yeah. wants. So yes. he's, uh, yeah, he's very open, very generous, you know, with yeah. his time and stuff. Mm -hmm. But at the same token, it's like, yeah, I don't want to sound like a brag. And I just, I'm doing really well right now. Well, we'll say it for you, Kevin. You're doing really well right You're now. You're doing really well right now. <laughs> yes. Yes. Here's some other people that did well. Yeah. Stumbled across this the other day on, on uh, Time's 20th anniversary website. Here's the 20th. We, the 20 weirdest things ever sold on ebay all right so before we get to this list what is the weirdest thing that you think of selling on ebay because i've got one specific thing in my head that may or may not be on this list we don't know i i i just looked at the first few items um, on the list in preparation and i'll tell you the, the society weird. that we're in today 
there's no telling what people are willing to put up for sale and what other people are willing yes. to spend money to own. The weirdest thing I've ever seen sold on eBay is a Cheeto, one Cheeto, the chip, like the, yeah, yeah. the orange chips, leave crap yeah. all over your fingers. Yeah. That it, was shaped like an animal. That's it. That's all it was. Is It was shaped like not even a Cheeto. It wasn't even sh- like a cheetah. It wasn't even shaped like their mascot. I thought you were like going to say it or was something. shaped like Eleanor Roosevelt or no, something. No, it was shaped like a whale. And I'm like, it's a Cheeto. And that's the shape they make. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Like thousands of dollars on this one Cheeto. I'm like, this is crazy. People have too much money. These are crazy. We'll run through some of them. Number one on the list. Now, these are not in any real chronological order. They just they just numbered them on here, but they're like the price goes up and down as you go through this list. A grilled cheese sandwich, which purportedly bore a portrait of the Virgin Mary, sold for $28,000 back in 2004. Wow. A Florida woman made it 10 years earlier. And said... It never went moldy. It never went moldy. (laughs) Uncorruptible. It was the uncorruptible grilled cheese sandwich. That's disgusting, first of all. There are a lot of people out there searching for something right now to to find hope in. (laughs) I mean, that whole scenario is just nasty. Like, she kept it around for 10 years before she sold it. Well, she needed that luck and that fortune. For almost $30,000. Somebody bought it. That's even worse. They needed a little bit of luck, and, and uh, they needed some guidance <laughs> I also. I guess. Whatever happened to our rabbit's feet, you know? Why like, did you do that? Yeah, oh, exactly. you know, my grilled cheese sandwich was calling me last night, and <laughs> I just I felt it in my heart That's and terrible. in my stomach. That's crazy. <laughs> you ate it, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Number two, clippings of Justin Bieber's hair fetched $40,668 in 2011. He gifted the hair to Ellen DeGeneres, who later decided to put them up for auction and donate the proceeds to an animal rescue organization. Now, that's a generous yeah, act. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds more like a charity auction. I mean, that doesn't sound, that sounds like something else than just a random item on eBay, so... I mean, I'm not famous, but if hair is worth anything close to that much money, um, I've lost a fortune. So, weird fact. My hair's fallen out. This is another weird Trina knows things that I shouldn't know anything about fact. Um, In my hometown, there is a hair museum. A hair museum. And it's very popular, like hugely popular. But it makes lists like this list all the time of the weirdest museums around, and it's in my hometown. Never went to it, but it's weird. It's just a weird, like, why, why, why? There's is a hair a museum. Yes. It's called Leela's Hair Museum. Go look it up. It's weird. Don't look it up. <laughs> this one I'm on the fence about, it, number three, it's a latex Casey Anthony mask. Originally made for a parody video, sold for $999,000 in 2011 and was billed as possibly the most frightening mask on the planet. It was sold on eBay for a million dollars? Yeah. I find that hard to believe. Nine ninety nine nine hundred. Crazy. I wonder if it was like, they say a parody video. Do you think that's just a YouTube video or is that like a produced like... Well, a parody video is... I get, I get what you're... I, yeah. Yeah, I know what a parody like video a, is, but a million dollars for one mask from a parody video? That video crazy. was viral, and I never even saw it. Do you know there, there are people out there that have so much money, they just yes. like, oh, yeah, I'll give that for it. I, I, I just know. want it. And that money, I have so much, it means very little to me. So, yeah, just buy me the mask, and yeah, I'll put weird. it on and scare people. Weird. Number four is Justin Timberlake's half-eaten French toast left behind after an interview with a New York radio station sold for $1,025 back in 2000. Mm-hmm. A DJ put the leftover breakfast up for auction and a 19-year-old super fan placed the winning bid. And that almost sounds like the Ellen one, but there was no... The funds went to some organization. <laughs> that DJ just made a cool thousand dollars. Just made a thousand bucks Bieber off of, instead of throwing it in the trash yeah. like he should have. Yeah. Number yeah. five. Now this one I like. 
A guy sold ad space on his forehead. <laughs> In the form of a temporary tattoo, it went for 37000 almost $38,000 in 2005. The company, called Snorestop, used <laughs> web developer Andrew Fisher's face to advertise its snoring remedy. I mean, is it a permanent tattoo? No, nope, oh, said temporary. it was temporary. So $40,000 for a temporary. I'm sure that he had to wear it for a certain amount of time. Yeah. Maybe go to a certain amount of places with it. But a tattoo on his forehead for $40,000. So if, if you got paid $40,000 for one week of having a tattoo, a temporary tattoo on your forehead, would you not do that? I would. Be like, sweet, let's pay the bills. Let's go. Pay the bills. Yeah. Forehead for rent. Forty grand's a lot of money just to place an ad on your forehead for a week. You laughed at this next one, number yes. six. A suit of armor for a guinea pig. <laughs> it's just the visual you get of that whole scenario. <laughs> Somebody made a suit of armor for a guinea pig. It fetched eleven hundred and fifty dollars in twenty thirteen. The creator promised that the tiny handmade suit and matching helmet would keep the guinea pig protected and secured <laughs> in all situations. I So I know that this suit of armor was made for the guinea pig, but I am more imagining that guinea pig is the horse with a suit of armor on top of him, and he's just running around with a little guy on his back the whole That's time. hilarious. That's Yeah, I love it. He's got like a... Um, like a little G.I. Joe guy yes, on the yes, back of it. exactly. It's that has like a lance or something. Dressed up like a yes, knight. Yes. Yeah, it's jousting. Yes, it's amazing. With Barbie. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. Number seven, a former Toronto mayor, Rob Ford's tie, <laughs> which he wore when he confessed to smoking crack in 2013. News conference sold the tie for $1,445 in 2015. That's crazy. The so-called crack tie featured logos of several NFL teams. That's what the motif of the tie yeah. was. Yeah, it's just a bunch of... But he supposedly, supposedly was smoking crack in that tie. He No, he confessed to smoking crack Oh, that's when that he tie. confessed. Okay. I, I guarantee he probably wasn't wearing any tie when he was smoking that crack, but... <laughs> that's not a tie event. That's No. <laughs> It's not a black tie event. I wouldn't call it that. <laughs> black tie optional. The crack tie event. <laughs> crack tie event. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Farrell's infamous brown fedora, which he wore at the 2014 Grammys, is number eight, sold for $44,100. The winning bidder, a fast food, ch- fast food chain Arby's, which had pointed out that Farrell's hat greatly resembled the one in its logo. I like that story. I can see that... You know, famous people, like their clothing and things like that, especially if they're iconic for them, because he was known for that fedora for a long time. And obviously, everybody's seen the Arby's logo, and it's a big hat. Like, it's a 10-gallon hat is their logo. So it kind of makes sense. I like that story. Read number 10. Pin- oh, <laughs> Princess Beatrice's royal wedding hat which some likened to a toilet seat <laughs> sold for 131 million or no thousand. Sorry. In 2011 proceeds went to UNICEF and the children in crisis again. I mean, that's a good deed. I think if you're going to talk about my hat and call it a toilet seat here, buy it and I'll donate the money somewhere. Uh, yeah. <laughs> likened to a toilet, toilet seat. seat. I have another story, but I'm not going to tell it on air. <laughs> I have a story about everything. She has and an you know, off-air story that you won't hear. I have, like, one of my favorite photos of a friend and I involves a toilet seat and a weird party. That's all we need to know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. Nice. Yeah, I'll have to bring it up. You'll, N- you'll see. Number 11 is William Shatner's kidney stone fetched $25,000 in 2006, raising money for a housing charity. This takes organ donors to a new height, to a new low, maybe, the actor (laughs) said. How much is a piece of me worth? $25,000. A kidney stone. That's gross. That's just nasty. Like, people that keep their own kidney stones are gross, let alone buy somebody else's kidney stone. Whether or not it's William Shatner, doesn't matter. Now, here's a great charity event, a lunch with Warren Buffett. Yeah. Sold on eBay for $2.3 million in 2015. The chairman of Chinese gaming company, Dalian Zeus Entertainment, 
placed the winning bid, and proceeds went to charity. The previous year, a Singapore businessman paid $2.2 million uh, for the annual lunch. This one brought 2.3, so uh, consistent market. Yeah, so is it just like a one-on-one lunch, you suppose? One-on-one lunch with the man, with Warren Buffett. But I mean, that I don't know. I don't feel like that's a... I feel like Warren Buffett probably gets paid to speak at, at engagements already, right? So he's making money just on his appearances already. And that's a pretty good cause, I think, if you're going to donate it to charity. If you think about the stuff people put on eBay, it, it amazes me because I've heard these stories, and here's two examples back-to-back. Yes. Number 13, a cornflake shaped like Illinois sold for $1,350. I mean, that's what cornflakes are shaped like, though. They're like, all shaped they're weird. All they're shaped all shaped like different. Illinois. Yeah, of course, it looks Colorado. like something yes. because it's a random, because Square. the yes. world's a big place yes. and it's a random shape. Yes. So, yes, it does. It, they all look like something. Yes. And number 14 is a Dorito shaped like the Pope's hat. I don't sold know, for $1,209. Like? Maybe I don't know what the Pope's hat looks like to compare it to a Dorito. Is it a triangle? Does it look like a giant? Doesn't it look like a giant taco shell or something and it kind (laughs) of arched? I don't know. I really, I can't, we should, later we will Google this and see the merit. But yeah, like the cornflake, I feel like cornflakes are shaped, like they're just a random shape, a random squiggly shape. That's just, I I don't know. It's it's just weird, the stuff that's... uh, I'm going to save this for later. We'll come back to it. We haven't even got all the way through this list. Not even close, yeah. But uh, there's quite a few items, ladies and gentlemen, that have sold on eBay for a significant amount of money. Yeah. So we have some sponsor spots available. If you are looking to spend this kind of money, you can sponsor the show for less than most of these, so... Or if you're selling a kidney stone or a Dorito yeah, or a cornflake, yeah. send that money to us. Yeah. Put it on the air. Yes. Get some mileage out of it. If you find a Cheeto shaped like a whale, you let us know. <laughs> that thing's worth some serious yes. dollar bills. Crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, that's uh, that's this episode. <laughs> this is weird. This is another weird episode of The Celery brought to you by. Absolutely. We'll look forward to seeing you next time inside The Sale Ring. Thank you for joining us for today's show. To access all resources and links mentioned in today's show, head over to www.thesalering.com now. We appreciate your feedback and encourage you to share the show with other industry pros like yourself. Join us next time as we meet you inside The Sale Ring.